Okay, welcome back to our series in the book of Numbers called, called Lost. So if you have your Bibles with you, and we hope that you do, um, we also will have some of the scriptures on the screen for you today. Uh, join me in Numbers chapter 11. Just, just know if you stay with us through this entire series, you will know more about numbers than most of the world collectively. Uh, we've lost this book and part of our Bible in most churches. We just don't open these parts of the word of God and they're good for our souls. So while you find your place in Numbers 11, I want to um, read you a list I found about the top 11 things we complain about. It's not a scientific list, but it's an independent list. I did not develop this on my own. Number one, this is what you complain about. You ready? Slow but free Wi-Fi. Anyone? Yep, been there. Um, we complain about the wait at the drive-in for fast food. I can't believe it's not as fast as it should be. We complain about our jobs. And a lot of us complain about the weather. It's number four on the list. Um, many people complain about flying. Whether the fear of flying or the security to fly or the germs while you're flying. Some of you complain about the toilet seat being up. I don't see an issue with that, but some of you complain about that. Many people, this is number seven on the list, complain about Facebook statuses. And you're probably complaining about Facebook statuses as you're complaining on your Facebook status. Um, number eight, grammar. Some people complain about grammar. I'm from Mississippi, so I don't. Um, people number nine complain about Mondays. Oh, it's Monday again. Uh, I, now this is my addition to the list, but I thought it would be beneficial. Uh, the length of sermons. Um, I guarantee you no one will complain about that today. And then number 11 on the list is people complain about people complaining. Think how secular that is. I can't believe they're complaining as I'm complaining. Why do I bring this up? Because right here in Numbers chapter 11, we encounter the people of God complaining to God. And so we're gonna really look at our hearts. We're gonna look in the mirror of our souls today and, and ask ourselves, Lord, am I a complainer? Father, when I do, would you change my heart? Because it's not honoring to you. And so this sermon is not prepared because there are specific people in this church that were complaining. I said, I'm gonna show them. A year ago, this sermon was prepared because the Lord impressed on my heart that we should preach through the book of Numbers. And so if you feel like someone ratted you out, someone did the Holy Spirit. And you should listen to that conviction and you should confess your sins and you will find forgiveness on the other end if you do so with a pure heart. So with that, let's look at Numbers chapter 11. I'm gonna read very specific verses. You can go back and read the entire chapter, but we're gonna begin in verse one this morning. Numbers 11, verse one. Now, the people began complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. When the Lord heard his anger burned and fire from the Lord blazed among them and consumed the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses and he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the place was named Teberah because the Lord's fire had blazed among them. Verse four, 
the riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites wept again and said, who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing to look at but this manna. Verse 10. Moses heard the people, family after family, weeping at the entrance of their tents. The Lord was very angry, and Moses was also provoked. God's response in verse 18. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in readiness for tomorrow, and you will eat meat because you wept in the Lord's hearing. Who will feed us meat? We were better off in Egypt. The Lord will give you meat and you will eat. Verse 19, you will eat not for one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes nauseating to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and wept before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Verse 23, the Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm weak? Now you will see whether or not what I have promised will happen to you. Verse 31, this is how it concludes. A wind sent by the Lord came up and blew quail in from the sea. It dropped them off all around the camp. They were flying three feet off the ground for about a day's journey in every direction. The people were up all day and night and all the next day gathering the quail. The one who took the least gathered 50 bushels and they spread them out all around the camp. Now listen to this. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the Lord's anger burned against the people and the Lord struck them with a very severe plague. So they named that place Kibrot Hata'ava because they were buried, the people who craved the meat. From Kibrot Hata'ava, the people moved to Hezerot and they remained there. Let's pray, Father. Help us not complain or doubt your provision or your promises or your protection in our life. Lord, you know our hearts before a word is even on our mouth. So we ask that you would change us in the hearing of your word. Word that is living and active that is sharper than a double-edged sword that will penetrate the division between our joints and our marrow. So Lord, penetrate our spirit right now that we would leave here radically changed. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, wow. Now who wants to complain, right? So we begin in verse one. My sermon is simply entitled, Grace for the Grumblers. Grace for the grumblers. Virtually the very first thing that happens when the people set out from Mount Sinai, they are journeying to the promised land. This triumphal, God has already told them, I'm gonna give you this land. That's not a question. And look at verse one in the CSB, it says, now the people 
began to complain. The very first thing the Israelites do is complain. And in the next several chapters, really in the next 10 to 12 chapters, the consistent theme, the consistent vocabulary that unifies all of these next passages, these narratives are these words. The people gathered, the people grumbled against. And over and over and over again, we see the people in the word of God complaining. So I just simply have three questions as we look at the word of God. What are the people so worked up about? Secondly, what is Moses worked up about? And then thirdly, we need to answer, what is God worked up about? Because if God still dealt with complaining, like he dealt with these people, none of us would be here, let's be honest. So Father, what do you want to do in our life? So let's kind of work through um, searching our hearts that we may honor Christ in our lives. Verse one, now the people began complaining. You are more likely to complain when you are disappointed. What are the people complaining about here in verse one? As you've looked at your word, as your scripture's coming to life to you, what are the people complaining about? Yeah, we don't know. Something that's hard. We don't even know what they are complaining about. Now, the word complain comes from an Akkadian word, meaning to sigh through your nose. Like, that was my mouth, but you know that. Mm. We have one of our family members, one of our younger family members, when he, when, I just ratted him out. When he gets angry, he'll, he'll go around doing that. Mm. Mm. I'm like, what is, are you a, a horse? What is your problem? But don't we do that when we get angry at God? We, mm. People are like, what's your problem? I'm, no, I don't have a problem. <laughs> Is that not how we act spiritually? We, we want to point fingers at Israel and, and four-year-olds and six-year-olds, but this is how we act spiritually when, when we feel disappointed. We sigh through our nose. And listen, before we point fingers at Israel, three days journey from Mount Sinai would have put them in the valley of Et-T, not, not E-T, at T, which is a very much an inhospitable desert place. They were walking through a very hot, arid area. They had every right to say, God, this is, this is difficult. But here's the spiritual implication. For Israel, this desert place was in the plan of God. It was never in their plans, was it? Their plans were the promised lands. And God is going to be smooth sailing to the promised land. And, and we say, God, we just want you to, to do your plan like I want my plan. And the moment our plan, we realize that our plan is not God's plan, we become disappointed. And at that moment, we are prone to grumble and complain. Because we say, God, I didn't sign up for this. God, I signed up for the promised land, the streets of gold. God, the new body. But God, I didn't sign up for the desert place. When you are disappointed in your life, don't let your disappointment lead to disaffection where you become dissatisfied with God's grace in your life. May our disappointments lead us to greater devotion because in the desert places, you appreciate the water more. You're, you're more prone. We're more prone to, to grumble when we 
are disappointed. Not only that, we're more prone to complain to the Lord when it's difficult. Not only was, were they disappointed because it was difficult, it was, let's be honest, it was difficult. Look at verse 1. They began to, proclaim, to complain before the Lord about hardship. We don't know what it was, but it was difficult. Maybe it was the forced marches. We're tired of walking. And remember, this journey, if done appropriately, without recalculation, would have been 10 days journey to the promised lands. Now, some of you think you have bad directions. This was a 40 year journey. And there was disappointment and, and difficulty. I've, I've had someone tell me one time, he said, you wanna know someone's character? He said, watch them when they don't get their way. And then you'll know their character. See if they complain or not. See if they, they breathe out through their nose and they stomp their feet. Then you'll see whether they trust God. Because we will go through difficulty. How does Paul respond in Romans 8, 18 to difficulty? He says, I do not consider my present sufferings worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in Christ Jesus. Paul's walking through the difficult place and he says, God, I don't even consider this desert place worth comparing to what you're gonna do in my life. Are you walking through difficulty right now? And let's be honest, it's difficult. And we're not gonna sugarcoat that. We, there are things in our life that we will walk through that are hard. But God says, I knew it was gonna happen. And Josh, I promise I'll be there with you. I'm not leaving you in the desert place. My grace will sustain you. My mercy will hold you. My arm is not too short. We are likely to complain when it's difficult. We're likely to complain when we're disappointed. Verse four, we often find ourselves complaining and whining when we're part of the riffraff, right? Just simply riffraff will always complain. And let me say this, if you find yourself complaining a lot and you look in the mirror and say, well, that's not who I am. I'm not a complainer. Just know that riffraff will always complain. The Hebrew word is a fun word. I want us to, to practice this out loud, right? The Hebrew here is a fun sounding word. It is a sofsuf. It sounds like riffraff, right? A sofsuf. Can you say that? Just look at your neighbor and say, don't be in a sofsuf. Don't be riffraff. Because the riffraff among them complained. And we don't know that maybe in Exodus 12, this riffraff are part of the mixed multitude that came out with the people. But what are they doing? They're complaining because that's who they are. This is just a, an eternal truth. Riffraff will complain. People on the fringes, and I find in my life, it is easier for me to complain when I'm on the fringe. It's easier for me to complain when I'm not serving the Lord. When I'm on the outside looking in, it's easier for me to say, well, why are y'all doing it that way? I can't believe that or, or grumble underneath my breath if they would just do it. And then I look at my life and say, God, I'm not, my heart's not right. I'm on the fringe. And God, I don't want to be on the fringe. I want to be where you are. Riff Raff will always complain. Don't be an Asaf Suf. Because if you are, your unbelief will show. 
in your life. Verse four, not only do we see that riffraff will always complain, but they complain because they had a strong craving, strong craving. Now, this is another truth we see in the word of God. Complaining has its beginning in our sinful hearts, in our sinful cravings. If you complain, it didn't start in your mind, it started in your heart. Look at verse four. The riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. And you say, well, what is that food? Listen to this. You can't make this stuff up. The Israelites wept and said, who will give us this meat? We had free fish. No, you didn't. But anyway, free fish. I'm thankful I'm not Moses. It would not go well with me. In Egypt. And this, is what, this is literally what they're complaining about, right? In the word of God. How we, we'd have those cucumbers and melons and leeks and and onions and, and garlic. Lord, if we could just have, they were literally complaining about God's menu, about variety. And we said, I can't believe they would do that. And then we look at our hearts and we say, God, how often do I complain eternally about cucumbers? Let me just say this. There is no cucumber in this world worth you losing your soul over. There's no garlic, there's no leeks, there's no meat, there's no pew, there's no carpet color, there's no tradition, there's no selfish desire in this world, there's no right hand, there's no right eye that is worth you and I losing our soul and going to hell. And how devastating would it be for us to get to heaven and, and God would say, Josh, remember on November 17th? Remember when I wanted to do this in your life through the power of my Holy Spirit? But all you could think about was garlic. You didn't see the manna that I gave you from heaven? You didn't see the power that I was giving you daily and you were worried about cucumbers? Man. And how often in our lives, when we look eternally, we complain about insignificant things. Complaining has its beginning in our sinful cravings. One man said it this way, when God's people begin to govern their lives by their sensual appetite, it will always lead to holy contempt. You know why there's division in churches and division among the body of Christ? Because there's division in our hearts. That's because the body of Christ is saying, you know what? We wish we had more garlic in this place. And some are saying, no, no, no. I wish we had the melons in this place. And someone's, no, no, no. I wish we had more onions in this place. And some of you, I'm just making hungry and you're saying, I wish we had food in this place. But spiritually, do we not do the same thing? Lord, forgive us for being Philippians 3 people. This is not just an Old Testament issue. Paul in Philippians chapter three says this, I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame and they are focused on earthly things. 
That's not just a New Testament problem. That's a modern problem. And before you and I complain, we need to ask ourselves, God, is this worth complaining over? Or is this garlic? Is this cucumber? What are you craving today? Maybe you came in here and said, if I could just have this in my life, I would be content. If you know Jesus, you have everything you need for holiness and a righteous life. We don't need any more. And how dare us complain about God's menu for us. Complaining always begins with sinful cravings. Let's move on from the cucumbers. Verse five, this is what they said. We remember the free fish in Egypt. The free fish. Now, we don't have the behind the scenes here. But if I were Moses, I would say, well, why were you crying out to God when you were in Egypt? Because you were crying out to God saying, God, we are slaves. And this is what complaining does. Complaining distorts our view of the present. They didn't have a good grasp on reality. That's what grumbling does. For Israel, the past had become the golden age. Man, whoa, that fish was really good in Egypt. And it was free. Don't worry that it was costing us our lives or our souls. But Lord, we just remember the good old days. And one commentator says it this way, complaining reimagines the past as the golden land. And it despises the good gifts that God has surrounded you with in the present. And it completely ignores God's promises for the future. It remembers the past as the golden land. It forgets the present and it isolates you from the promises of God's future in your life. Man, Satan wants to distort your reality. Satan wants you to forget the promises of God in your life. Satan wants you to look back and just remember the golden day. He wants you to remember your Egypt. And, and I was reminded as I was praying through this that grumbling is never free. And the same thing with our sins, right? Satan might tempt us. You might be tempted by the desires of your evil heart to go back to those sins. Wow, Lord, if I could just take another drink. I remember it was man, how pleasing that was to me. Lord, help me get away. Lord, if I could just look at this thing again. Lord, it's such a temptation. I remember how good these images made me feel. Oh, Lord, this relationship, I know it wasn't healthy, but Lord, it, it was free. It's never free if it costs your soul. And the very first temptation that the world has ever known was the same temptation. Here, have this fruit. Did God say you'll surely die? Just try it, it's free. Sin is not free. Complaining is not free. Grumbling will not be overlooked. And may we not forget God's provision. Look, in the midst of all of this, we just completely forget. I mean, our youth are thinking, fish? Man, I love fish. Some of our senior adults are like, I love garlic. And then the mixed multitude here are thinking, melons, right? Watermelon season's coming along soon. 
I'm thinking crawfish season is right around the corner. And in all of this, when we complain, what did we miss? Look at verse six. Look at what the people miss. There is nothing to look at but this manna. This was the ultimate shipped program. God delivers their food to their doorstep every day from heaven. You don't have to schedule time to pick it up. Like God schedules that for you. And that's what complaining does in our life. We forget that God is giving us today everything that we need. We just want the, the other stuff. Complaining is never free. It forces us to lose our grasp on God's provision today. That's why we are taught to pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Lord, let us look at your manna and your provision. Let us look at your grace with joy. Let us look at your mercy with thanksgiving and not contempt. Verse 10, a lot of complaining here. Moses heard that the people wanted garlic. Family after family, weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now this tells me several things about grumbling and complaining. One, grumbling is contagious. That's why God treats it very harshly within the body of Christ and the body and the congregation of Israel. Because look at what the people are doing here in verse 10. Moses heard the people, family after family, riffraff complaining. And when one tent would complain, it would go to the other tent and it would go to the other tent and the other tent. Can you imagine if the Israelites had social media? They wouldn't even have to go to the tent to complain. They could just lay down in the tents and tweet it out, post it on Instagram. They could post it on Facebook and say, Lord, they want good food and we want good food. And so, Lord, let's just go back. And complaining is a disease that will destroy your life. Not to make you nervous, but it's like the flu that's been going around. You don't even know you have it until it's too late. And right now, some of the doctors are say, simply saying, well, you probably tested negative for it, but you still probably have it, so let's just treat it like it is, the flu. That's what complaining does. You don't even know you have it until it's too late. And you might test yourself and look, I'm negative, I'm not a complainer. And God says, yeah, you are. We're gonna treat it. Grumbling is contagious. And the, this includes unfocused grumbling that indicts God as the ultimate cause of the issue. Grumbling is not free. Whining is not free. And I ask you this morning, have you caused other people to sin? You say, well, it's just my tent, pastor. No one heard me. Well, why is your neighbor complaining? You don't think that you're whining is, is contagious. You don't think the heart of bitterness that's overflowing is evidenced and inspected by other people? It's contagious and it spreads like wildfire. And you know what others want to see? Others want to see gossip 
and complaining sweep through the body of Christ throughout the world like wildfire. Because then they can say, aha, we knew that you were no different. We knew you had it in you. Because we saw you on Facebook. We saw your heart. We saw you retweet that. And we know you're just like us. Complaining is contagious. And it happens, look at verse 10, when this happens in your life. Moses heard the people complaining, family after family, weeping at the entrance of, this is key. Everyone was weeping at the entrance of his, their what? If you were here last week with us, if you've been journeying through the book of Numbers, you know that the people were called to camp as concentric circles. And in the center of the camp of Israel, right here was the Ark of the Covenant with the, with the Ten Commandments and with the, the manna that God had provided that they rejected and with the bud, eventually the, the staff of Aaron that had budded to show that he was the priest that God would use. And inside that was a cloud that overlaid that ark cloud by day and fire by night and the people would look at that to be a reminder of God's visible demonstration of his presence in the midst of the congregation and so camp people around the camp and not only were they around the camp that they were to look at the camp and they would see Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting appealing to God as mediator So when the people had a complaint, when they had an issue, they should go to the entrance of the tent to hear from the Lord. But what do we find here? We find the people not at the right tent. You see, the people had taken their eyes at the presence of God. And when we do that, we are prone to complain. And when you take your eyes off of Jesus for an instant your heart can change. For an instant, quit worrying about your tent when you have the presence of God in your midst. May we be people who look to the power and the presence of God in our life. And when we say, Lord, I don't know what's happening around me. I'm walking through et T and it is difficult, God. And I'm tired of marching. But Lord, I know what you promised me for tomorrow. And I know what you did yesterday. And I know what you're doing today. And God, let me fix my eyes on the right tent. On Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. Have you taken your eyes off of Jesus, off the presence of God? The Israelites were not looking at the right tents. Verse 18, let's more grumbling. So God told Moses to tell the people, consecrate yourselves in readiness for tomorrow. Now let me say this about grumbling. Grumbling prepares your heart for the wrong feast. When God would tell the people to consecrate themselves... It was always a feast day. Consecrate yourselves for the Passover. Remember when you spread the blood of the lamb on your door and the angel of death passed over you. This will be a holy day to celebrate. Consecrate yourselves, Israel. This is gonna be a day of celebration. Consecrate yourselves, the Shavuot, 
Remember when God's presence led you. Consecrate yourselves for the Feast of Booths. Remember when you had to dwell in tabernacles and and you had no place, but God was your refuge and your strength. Consecrate yourselves, people, that we can celebrate God's mercy and his grace in your life. Consecration means to be holy and to be clean. But grumbling consecrates ourselves and our lives for the wrong feast. You see, the, feet, the quail didn't fall in the center of the camp. The quail, as we're going to see shortly, fell on the outside. And the outside, the outskirts of the camp were two places. That was place for the unclean and the place for death. And God is telling the people, consecrate yourselves because you're preparing yourself to be unclean. You've already prepared your heart for death. That's what, that's what complaining does. That's what grumbling does. See, the gift of the Spirit draws men to the Lord. But the quail led them away from the presence of God. That's what complaining does in your life, in my life. It leads us away from what God wants. It's like going to a fancy restaurant. Some of you went out for Valentine's Day. And you made sure you had the right clothes. And you made sure you had the right dates. And you probably made sure they had flowers. And you called ahead of the restaurant, maybe if you're preparing, you said, look, I, I want this table. Or at least I want reservations. And you maybe you looked at the menu ahead of time and you prepared your life in this date. This was a hot date. And we're going to make it right. I'm preparing. I'm consecrating myself for a special night, a special meal. And complaining readies our hearts to eat out of the trash can. That's the effect. What a devastating effect it has on the people of God. Do not prepare your heart to eat at the wrong feast. We see this in verse 18. After the people had prepared themselves and they grumbled against God, the Lord says, well, consecrate yourselves in readiness for tomorrow. You will eat meat because you wept in the Lord's hearing. This is not a weeping of consecration. This is not a weeping of sorrow of sin. This is a weeping of God. How dare you? There's a difference. And the Lord speaks and says, the people said that they were better off in Egypt. So the Lord will give you meat and you will eat. You will eat. Not for one day, not for two days, not for five days, not for 10 days, not for 20 days, but for a whole month you will eat. Let me just say this. God will not ignore your complaining. Let me, let me include myself in that, right? God will not ignore me, us, when we complain. I don't care if that's on social media. I don't care if that's a, the front door of your house. I don't care if that's in the around the office cooler where no one will hear but this person. God will not ignore. You see, what the complaining was was actually a veiled attempt to say, God, you're not everything that we wanted. It was, God, we, we want to go back to Egypt. God, we're kind of disgusted with your provision in our life. God, we don't know if we can trust you like we think we can trust you. It was a shot across the bow of God's provision in their life. So before we think, wow, this is harsh, 
No. The people had rebelled against the one who loved them more than anyone else. And this is what God gave them. He said, I will not ignore your rebellion. So he sent quail after quail after quail. Some estimates, conservative estimates say that there were, they would have had to be 105 quail. I'm sorry, 105 million quail to produce this in Israel. So much so that we see that the least person gathered in verse 32, 50 bushels. Some of your versions read 10 homers. Now a homer was an Akkadian word literally for donkey load. So the least person gathered 10 donkey loads of quail. I don't know how much you can fit in a donkey load, but that's a lot of quail. And this is what God does while the quail was still between their teeth in verse 33. Before it was chewed, the the Lord's anger burned against the people and the Lord struck them with a very severe plague. God will not ignore your sin. God will not ignore your grumbling against him. He said, well, it's just a preference. Well, go back and read today and see how that worked out for Israel. It is not worth your soul over garlic, over preference, over dress, over anything. There's no sin. There is no lust or addiction that is worth losing our souls. That is the power of Christ working in us. And they named the place Kibrot Hata'ava, which literally means the graves of craving, to remind them that when those sinful cravings crop up, we don't want to go back there. God quelched the rebellion. God extinguished the hardness of my heart before anything else happens. So what is my prayer in all of this? Verse 20. This is my prayer. This is, this is my prayer for my life as I was reading the word. But for a whole month, till it comes out of your nostrils, it becomes nauseating to you. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him. Why did we ever leave Egypt? My prayer from my life is that this would be my reaction to my sin. God, before a grumbling word is on my lips, make me sick in my heart. God, create in me a holy sorrow. Father, before I put that quail in my mouth, the one I have begged and pleaded for because I didn't trust in you. God, before I put that on my lips, may I be sick to my stomach over my sin. God, let, let me hate my sin as you hate my sin. This should be our reaction to our sin. We should see our sin from God's perspective. And and these are the two things that separate people who belong in Christ and people who do not. Both communities will sin. The people who do not belong in Christ are going to take their side for the sin. They're going to say, God, you you know that temptation was there. God, God, you know I couldn't help myself. Our God, it's, it's not a sin. It's not that bad. God, I was just, Lord, it's just a menu request. But those in Christ Jesus will take God's side and will say, God, I know, as David said, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. 
and I repent in dust and ashes. With the sin in your life today, whose side are you taking? Do you really have a deep sorrow and you say, God, I, I can't stand this. God, when I look at these pictures, I get sick to my stomach. God, when, when we have these relationships with my boyfriend or girlfriend, God, make me sick to my stomach. Make me nauseous, Lord, that we would not cross boundaries of purity. God, when, I, when I'm prone to complain, Father, make, make my nostrils, make the smell and the stench of that sin, Lord, make it just, the aroma reverberates. Whose side are you taking it on your sin? May we become nauseous. Do you explain away your grumbling? That's just, just Facebook. Everyone does it. That is true. But we're not called to be everyone. We're called to be the saints of the living God. A people consecrated to the Lord for a special feast. Not on the outside of the camp, but a feast that is in the presence of God. That one day when Jesus returns and he, he brings his bride back, that we would be adorned in pure white. And the table would be set before us. So where do we go from here? It's very simply, um, don't complain. In case you didn't get that point, I said it 10 different ways. But the reality is that we all have complained, haven't we? There's not a single person in here that hasn't complained at some point. And if you haven't complained, I'm just gonna preach for another hour and you'll get to that point. But here's the hope for complainers like me, for grumblers like me, this is unbelief working itself out in our lives. This is us saying, God, I don't trust you fully, so I'm gonna complain verbally. And today, God, if that is you, God is calling you to repent of your sins, to confess him, and he will forgive you. God died for grumblers. He's not gonna love you less because you complain. He knew that you were a complainer. And God today is asking you to purify your heart, maybe to come to the altar and say, God, I'm tired of this mouth. Because Lord, you know these sinful cravings start in my heart. Are you willing and ready to confess your sin to the Lord? Because that is the only way that the remedy will come in your life. Secondly, maybe you're guilty of passive participation. Maybe you're the one that Maybe you weren't in Exodus. Maybe you came out later and you didn't go to the tent of and complain. Maybe you just sat back in the, you were chilling in your tent. But you weren't willing to go to your neighbor and, you, and say, that's not what God wants. Maybe you knew and you remembered that the meat wasn't free. And that you were in bondage and and you have passively let other people grumble in your midst without lovingly pointing them back to the word of God. And maybe you need to spend some time in confession because you haven't gone to someone privately and you've seen the things they post on social media. And you could have called them and said, look, I'm disappointed in you. I'm not gonna blast you the same way you blast others, but I'm gonna do this person to person like, like Matthew says that we should do. Maybe you're guilty by passive 
complaining. And you've just passed on that disease. Maybe you need to spend some time in confession and say, God, help me stand up for truth and honor and righteousness. Maybe you're here today and and the, the prayer I was wanting to pray earlier is the prayer that you have. God, give me a bitter taste for my sin. Lord, don't let me go back to the garlics of my sin. Don't let me go back to the days where I, I thought I enjoyed the fish, but it was in bondage. Maybe you just need to pray and as we sing, and you sing a ta- song of response and you say, God created me a disgust for my sin. It's possible you're here and you're still part of the riffraff in verse four. The truth is we all are. All of us are riffraff. All of us are dead in our sins. And what I didn't tell you earlier, I wanna tell you to, 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 now is that the word complaining in chapter 11, verse one is used one other place in scripture. I think I have it for you on the board. It's found again in Lamentations, chapter three, verse 39. And this is what the Lord says to the prophet Jeremiah about the riffraff. Why should any living person complain? Because of the punishment for his sins. The reality is that in light of God's mercy, we shouldn't be here, none of us. So why are we complaining? God is merciful the fact that he has let us hear the life-saving message of Jesus Christ, that those who put their trust in him today will pass from death through the judgment of God because he has judged Jesus Christ and they will pass into eternal life. That's hope for riffraff. And you know why that gives me so much joy? Because I'm the chief of the riffraff. I was the ringleader. And God graciously one day looked down with an arm that was not too short and extended his hand and said, Josh, because of my son, Jesus Christ, who extended his arms for you, or you were in rebellion, if you would take his hands, if you believe in your heart, if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You see, for Israel, they had to go to Moses. Moses was the mediator. We read that in verse two, that Moses would go to the tent of meeting and on behalf of the people, he would pray and say, God, spare these crazy people. They're grumbling again. But the reality is this, that we have a better Moses. We have a perfect mediator that is on our behalf constantly going before God and saying, God, I know Josh is guilty, but don't send the quail today. Don't kill him. Because remember, I took the punishment for his sins. Father, don't you remember that when my blood was spilled out, it was spilled out for Josh. It was spilled out for Bob or for Kevin. Don't judge him in your wrath because you judge me and he believes in me. We have a perfect mediator. First Timothy says, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony and a proper time. Is your faith fully in the one who can bridge the gap? Maybe you came in here today a complainer. My hope is that you won't leave here the same way. That you'll stand or you will kneel where you sit or you'll come to this altar and say, God, take the taste of Egypt from my mouth. 
and give me a taste of you. Let me taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father.